What's happening, you beautiful people? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Graham Tomlinson, a.k.a. The Fitness Chef, and we're talking about all of the biggest diet and fat loss myths. Given the fact that if lockdown has left us with anything, it's just a little bit of extra weight, most people are going to be getting back into some form of fitness regime right now, and given that, I thought it would be a good time to come and dispel some of the most common misinformation and myths around dieting, weight loss, fat loss, and everything else. So today, expect to learn the principles of dieting and losing weight, whether juicing or detoxes work, what low-carb and keto actually do, how intermittent fasting works, why slimming clubs don't work, how to keep your fat loss sustainable over time, and much more. I'm a big fan of Graham's work, and he's got nearly a million followers on Instagram because he's a no BS kind of guy. He doesn't really care about which team he's supporting as long as it's a team which works. And uh, yeah, if we save just one person from doing another juice detox, I'm going to call this episode a win. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult, and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof, and gym-proof. They've got custom designs in gold and silver, necklaces, chains, pendants, bracelets, rings, and earrings. If you've seen me on any of the big cinema episodes on YouTube wearing a necklace, it will always be from Crafted. I absolutely love it. It works with formal wear, casual wear, whether it's daytime or nighttime. All of the pieces are super high quality. The designs are great, and uh, I love them. That's It's all I wear. Also, they have an unlimited lifetime guarantee so if your piece breaks for any reason at any point during the entire life of the product they will give you a new one for free get a 15 percent discount site-wide on everything by going to bit.ly slash cd wisdom and using the code mw15 at checkout that's bit.ly slash letter c letter d wisdom and mw15 at checkout all right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. This episode is brought to you by AG1. AG1 is a daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Even with the best diet in the world, it is hard to make sure that you get everything that you need. And through a science-driven formulation, vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients, AG1 delivers comprehensive support for the brain, gut, and immune system. This is why Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman and Dr. Andrew Huberman and Tim Ferriss are all massive fans. They have tried every other product out there like I have, and this is by far the best one available. Since 2010, AG1 have improved the formula 52 times in the pursuit of making the best foundational nutrition supplement possible through high quality ingredients and rigorous standards. Also, there's a 90-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it and try it for 89 days, and if you don't like it, they'll just give you your money back. 
Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for that 90-day money-back guarantee, a year's free supply, vitamin D, five free travel packs, and more. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. But now, it's time to learn about the biggest myths of dieting with Graham Tomlinson. Graham Tomlinson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm well, man. I went to Leeds and back today, and this is how downregulated the stimulus of my life has become. I've spent so much time in the same four walls that a journey to Leeds and back actually felt like an adventure. I spent three and a half hours in the car and, and literally felt like I'd gone on holiday. Well, talking of holidays, it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime, anytime soon. Um, yeah, it's been a funny, funny year, hasn't it, with lockdown? Um, to be honest, I don't know about you, but it hasn't actually affected me that much because, like yourself, I'm kind of working from home anyway. And the only thing that's changed for me is not being able to go abroad or get on a plane to go to London or something like that. Yeah. Um, obviously, obviously, not seeing family and friends is um, not great. But yeah, in terms of work, everyday life, it's it's not that much different. No, at the start, it was actually quite nice. Dude, <laughs> it's a bit much now. I said, I said that every introvert, it's now their dream. You know, you don't have to go and do all of the social events that you never enjoyed. But and I'm in perfectly fine working on my own, doing my solitary stuff. But after twelve months of being in exactly the same location. Even I, like, and if I'm starting to push it, then for the people that are listening who are really social and, and used to going out and spending tons of time with their friends, and it, it really is challenging. So, yeah, man, I'm looking forward. Even if we can't go abroad, I'm just looking forward to, to lead West Yorkshire not somehow feeling like I should be grateful for it. I shouldn't be grateful <laughs> for the fucking A1. Do you know what I mean? Like, this isn't, this isn't yeah. me taking a, taking a trip to somewhere exotic. Anyway, anyway, we are going to talk <laughs> about fat loss today. You are the fitness chef on Instagram. You are red-pilling people on how to really understand calories from foods, what they think is happening, what's actually happening, and the truth behind weight loss. What are the most common errors that you see people making when they're trying to lose weight? Uh, I think one of them is, is not understanding what you, you were just saying there, understanding that A, you need a, a calorie deficit, so consume less calories than you use each day um, to lose fat. That is the principle. That is not a method. That is literally the only physiological way you can lose fat. So unfortunately, unfortunately it's not sexy enough to be marketed. So it kind of misses a lot. Lot of people so a lot of people start trying to lose fat without even understanding that basic element that's required um and so once you start from there and you start going on a uh, an extreme intervention like low carb or keto or whatever it is and you don't understand about the calorie balance you're almost setting yourself up for failure um another one would be even if you do understand that you need the calorie deficit is making it unsustainable in other words, having it ultra restrictive and aggressive. So for myself, I know my maintenance calories would be around about 2,200, 2,400 um, for my activity level. And, you know, for the average female, it could be, I don't know, 1,700 to 1,900. But when they go on these calorie counting apps like MyFitnessPal, 
it asks them how much weight do you want to lose gives them an option and it'll be like one pound a week two pounds three pounds of course they're going to select the biggest amount of weight loss why wouldn't you i would do that um but unfortunately, what that does is, is that formulates a calorie target of something like 1,000 to 1,200 calories, which, yes, it's a calorie deficit, but it's quite extreme and unsustainable. Um, you'll be very hungry, and it'll be difficult to adhere to it. And the most important thing about fat loss isn't the calorie deficit. It's actually adhering to the calorie deficit over a period of time. So those are probably the two main things um, that I would say that are very basic for people to understand. What's the maximum weight loss per week that you think people should comfortably aim for? They're not, honest, they're not a pro bodybuilder. They haven't got some MMA fight coming up. Yeah, that's a, a very interesting question because you could easily answer that and say it doesn't matter because it's just a number on the scale. Now, people do like to measure their weight loss progress by weighing themselves every week. And over a period of weeks and months, if you lose body weight, you will definitely be losing body fat, right? But if I was to weigh myself today and then next Tuesday, I could have lost weight, but it might not be body fat. I could have gained weight. It might not be body fat. Um, so from that perspective, I would just say, if you do want to measure a number, I would say one pound a week, the minimum. You know, the minimum, and that's the most achievable thing that you can do. If you do that every week for a year, that's a lot of weight. But unfortunately, people don't tend to think with that mindset. They're thinking, holiday in two weeks, have to lose it all by then, or getting married in two months, I've, I've done nothing about it, and now I'm going to you know, do a juice cleanse or something like that, so something crazy. Even one pound a week is 3,500 calories, right? Which is a 500 calorie per day deficit, which is still quite a significant deficit to be in. If you think that for a girl on an absolute top end, they would maybe get 2,000 calories, that's a quarter. You're talking about a quarter every single day, not including a refeed, not including a cheat day. And that's just to break one pound, half a kilo a week. Yeah, And even if you had weeks where you didn't lose fat you know it, it can happen things come up you know well in a few months time a few nights out hopefully um and so even if it was half a pound a week that's still a lot of weight over a, a period of time um but we just don't think like that when we're starting out a lot of people because the solutions that are in front of us are shiny and promise the outcome you know you will look like this in a month or two weeks that's what people are focusing on um, unfortunately, and that's why they're kind of diving into these ultra restrictive calorie deficits, um, which, to be honest, are fantastic for boxers. <laughs> you know, if they want to cut weight dramatically, um, but not for the average person who, you know, hopefully enjoys things like bread and donuts and lasagna, you know, things like that. To the uninitiated that are listening, how is it that you can still get to eat bread and sugary foods and lasagna? and still lose weight is there such a thing as a good food or a bad food so there can't be such a thing as a good food or a bad food food is simply different um again that could just be my opinion but objectively looking at say a chocolate bar or an avocado if the quantities of both were 200 calories we can see that the avocado has micronutrients a little bit of fiber in there beneficial fats but still 200 calories. That's the energy value. And that's the thing that's related to the body fat at the end of the day. The chocolate bar will have 200 calories and probably minimal nutrients. 
um, certainly no fiber. So yeah, I mean, you can you can weigh it up. And I think I always try and get people to understand the two different facets. So energy, the calories in food, and also the nutritional value and the fiber value, things that are going to benefit your overall health and influence your your next decision. You know, if something satiates you and fills you up, it's more likely that you're, or sorry, less likely that you're going to eat uh, more calories than you should. So I think, you know, this good and bad thing, I think it's a little bit pedantic of me to say nothing can ever be good or bad. I think it's more a case of there can be a, a good or a bad overall diet, aka one that supports you or doesn't support you. But as an individual choice, like one meal out of a week is one meal out of 21 meals. You know, if that was something that was double the calories than you normally have, it's not going to make much difference as long as all the other meals are kind of still supporting you. So yeah, I, it's one of my kind of pet hates is when I say people saying I've, I've been good or I've been bad. Because what it does is when, when people eat something like a pizza or a chocolate bar, they feel guilty. Um, of course, if they were doing that every day, potentially it's not very it's not going to be optimal for them but if they're doing it in moderation and they understand more about the food they're eating it's a lot easier for them to make informed decisions about what they're eating so getting on to some of the biggest myths of fat loss there's been if if this is the case because i remember when if it fit your macros came out ish came out came out publicly um the launch of if it fits your macros. yeah and that was what <laughs> maybe like 2011 2012 yeah. i'd say kind of the back end of the ziz era that sort of timing if it fit your macros came out everyone had been into carb backloading for a long time then carbonite came out and then it was just it's any calories bro so if it's been yeah it's any calories bro for the best part of a decade now nearly nearly 10 years of the if it fits your macros world why have we seen stuff like keto and intermittent fasting and slimming clubs and all this sort of stuff before we get into trashing them which is going to be great why how have they come up is it just repackaging things in a sexier way that's easier to market yeah i mean i think that the keto diet came around initially to treat epileptic kids you know nothing to do with body composition um and low carb diets could be seen to be advantageous for treating people with type 2 diabetes but these things always tend to morph into fat loss because everybody wants to lose fat because we're a, a nation. And to be honest, the whole planet is quite obese now. Um, it's naturally going to move into that because that's what people are seeking, I guess. You know, that's my kind of, that's how I kind of think it's, it's happening. Um, yeah, I think like the, it's all calories, bro. It's, it's an interesting one because Obviously, you've got the three different macronutrients. You've got the protein, which is, is just great for any fitness goal that you have. It's going to help you build muscle. It's, it's probably going to help you lose fat as well because you burn more calories when you digest that compared to carbs and fats. So over time, that's actually going to help you lose weight because your energy expenditure is higher. Um, but I guess like the low-carb, for me, it probably st kicked off when – well, in my opinion, everything started when I started going on social media, but it, it could have been before that in blogs. But yeah, you have low-carb and keto zealots that use the, the kind of insulin hypothesis to get past their argument or to support their argument instead of... What is that? What's the, what's the insulin hypothesis? 
Well, it's the idea that hor- that hormones will dictate fat loss instead of energy balance. Um, so the more the insulin rises, the more fat, because it's the fat loss storage hormone, sorry, the fat storage horm- hormone, um, it's basically going to result in more fat loss. And they just ignore the fact that despite the fact that that's true, insulin is there, it does occur, it, it's definitely a massive part of the process. The, the, the end result is defined by total energy in versus total energy out. That's what dictates it. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like cherry picking a segment of the process between somebody eating calories and it being metabolized and turned into fat tissue. They're, chick- they're, they're checking that one part of the pro- process and just using that. Um, and that's where you get the low carb thing from. That's where you get anti-sugar from. You know, the sugar one's a little bit more vicious in the sense that people claim that it is, you know, poisonous or don't turn straight to fat. All these kind of ludicrous claims that are just not supported anywhere in evidence. Um, and then you get the other side of it, whereby if somebody enjoys low carb diets, they can do without things like pasta, bread, um, you know, any type of high sugar food, and it helps them achieve their goals. Fantastic. But the problem comes when people are trying to lose weight and they enjoy those foods and they feel they have to cut them out and it's just unnecessary. There's, there's no kind of evidence there. In fact, all the evidence goes against what some of these hypotheses are saying. You can look at things like the rice reduction diet experiment where participants ate 95% of their calorie intake from rice, fruit and fruit juice, <laughs> pretty much all carbohydrates um, in there. And they were in a, an aggressive calorie deficit. You know, you certainly wouldn't uh, administer the calorie deficit they were on. But guess what? They lost an average of like 63.9 kilos across participants because they were in a calorie deficit. Um, and that was just eating purely carbs. And then we have another meta-analysis from two or three years ago where they tested two different groups, a low-carb group and a low-fat group. Um, they equated calories and protein in each group. So they're eating the same amount of calories, same amount of protein, and then they just wanted to see which group resulted in more fat loss, and they couldn't find any difference. In fact, I think they found an an insignificant difference between low fat resulting in more fat loss than the low-carb diet group, and that was a meta-analysis of lots of different studies out there. So there's, there's two examples of quite reliable research to just... I mean, if you say that to somebody who is like an anti-carb zealot, they, they can't say anything to that. It's like, well, how can you argue? How did that happen then if what you're arguing is true? Um, so, yeah. But what do they <laughs> say to that? What's the answer to that? Uh, well, to be honest, the conversations that I have with low-carb zealots are normally in my Instagram comments section. And they will come out with all these claims and I will probably come back with, well, can you cite some evidence? And they'll probably come back with some sort of study that's been done because people talk about showing evidence, but actually there's a lot of bad evidence out there as well. Like anybody could do a study and publish it. That's why you kind of want to look for systematic reviews or reviews or meta-analysis because it's like all the studies done on any given question, such as do carbs make you fat? You're, you're more likely to get a more reliable answer if you look at that kind of data as opposed to just one individual study that was done in 1993, which supports your bias and 
there you go, that supports it. But I'm saying, well, hang on, yeah, but what about what about this? You know, I, I see what you're saying there with that evidence, but can you not appreciate what I'm showing here? Nope. <laughs> Why do you um, think it I, is? Why do you think it is that people are so patriotic about the yeah. dietary team that they're on? It's crazy. It's definitely getting worse. I think is um, that right? Because I I don't I I only see these discussions when I observe you or James Smith or Diran or any other of the vanguard of like <laughs> British argumentative blokes on the internet <laughs> killing killing the dreams of some marketer out there. <laughs> Um, yeah. I, I only ever observe it happen, right? So I only get to see a tiny little sliver, but you reckon it's getting worse? Yeah, I, I just think people's ability to d- even debate, you know, I'd quite happily, if somebody wrote a comment saying, yeah, but I don't agree with that respectfully because look at this and this and this, I would be more than happy to admit that I was wrong if I had kind of jumped the gun on something or not appreciated the other side of someone's argument. Um, the fact of maybe done that in the past um but it's just it's more the argumentative kind of nature of people's comments it's more like they're just angry and they want to project that instead of them actually wanting a discussion that's going to help either one of us um so yeah it's very difficult to communicate with people like that but it is tribal i think it possibly started with with veganism you know because my sister's a vegan and you know she's nice person <laughs> but you, but, you, but you will get people out there who are just wanting to project almost an authoritarian manner how everybody should be doing things and they just can't take it when someone else wants to do something different because they're entitled to is that not the um, same way as it is with everything at the moment though so think yeah, about it's... the patriotism that you see between people's political parties at the moment or towards a social cause or towards a particular type of injustice or whatever it is i think this is a rabbit hole we don't need to go down but the collapse of grand narratives the lack of a religion to hang on to the fact that you don't have any greater sense of purpose it's a meritocracy you are your job you are your possessions you are your follow account people are looking for their new gods and they appear to be finding them inside of a diet book at the moment or a social media account, or a plethora of a small kind of niche of social media accounts. That's a great point. You know, as um, you know, our kind of age group. I certainly a lot of my mates aren't religious, and probably my parents aren't religious either. So it probably stretches to people who are kind of in their fifties or sixties as well. So yeah, it's it could be that as human beings, we're always craving something to follow, something to believe in. That's why I like I support Liverpool at football, stupidly, sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> this season anyway. It's like, why did I pick them and why do I get so worked up when I watch them on TV? It's you know, looking at it objectively, it's just a football match. You know, if they win or lose, it has no impact on my life at all. <laughs> and yet it does emotionally, massively. And yet it does, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I had um, I had a sociologist on the show a couple of months ago, a guy called Rob Henderson, who's a good buddy, and he told me that up until 2012, supporters of the Democratic Party in America loved their party more than they disliked the other one. And that was the same for Republicans as well. But after 2012, people that voted Democrat voted Democrat because they hated the other party more than they liked their own. Well, literally, the the compulsion that we have now is an in-group, out-group relationship where all that we're bothered about is not being the out-group. 
as opposed to actually being the in-group. And I think what you see here is we just want to feel like we're a part of a team, a part of a crowd. Like if you're some 39-year-old triathlete, club-level triathlete, who is adamant that low-carb is the way to go and all of your waking hours are spent researching the different type of bike clip mechanism that you're going to use and the new type of shoes and you're waiting for race weekend to come around that's your world and if you are just as patriotic about that it feels when someone says yeah mate but it's any calories bro like low low carb is for people with epilepsy and type 2 diabetes it doesn't matter that doesn't just feel like a critique of the food that you put in your mouth it feels like an existential threat against your ego feels like someone's trying to destroy your identity it's an attack, isn't it? And before actually sitting back and thinking about, you know, assessing what information that they're seeing, it's an immediate impulse reaction, isn't it? To go and comment and say, you're wrong, you know? And it's, um, I think we all do it with, to some degree, but I certainly notice it uh, on social media with, when it comes to nutrition. I've, I've had posts, you know, things like avocado toast versus Nutella toast, just displaying the simple facts. There you go. You do what you like. Um, you can have either, you know, displaying the facts about diet um, soft drinks, you know, that they don't cause cancer despite all these conspiracies and they don't make you fat because they've got zero calories. They don't raise insulin because they've got zero calories. But people are just like, yeah, but it's poison, bro. <laughs> and it's just like, well, what can you say to that? You, you know, if it was poison, people would be dying. Has there, been, have there been any studies that have shown links with artificial sweeteners? In, in rats um, a, a while ago, but in human beings, there's there's none. I mean, that's to my knowledge. Uh, you know, I think the most recent meta-analysis was done in 2015, um, and it had over half a million participants there, and it showed no carcinogenic properties within diet soft drinks. Uh, specifically, it was aspartame, so there are other sweeteners, but aspartame is the one that gets labeled One of as, the most researched. Um, yeah food supplements in the world right it is and it's it's one of those things that people will say i can't believe you're promoting this i'm like i'm not it's like i can't believe you're saying it's healthy i'm not there's nothing optimal about aspartame but what i'm saying is the research shows it's actually not harmful if consumed in this dose if you consumed 100 cans a day that's a different story <laughs> um, but if you're doing that there's problems there that you probably need to get help with there are other you know, there are other issues yeah. bigger than the aspartame yes I would imagine you would have other issues overriding the problem with aspartam if you're doing that per day. Um, just having all that bloating, for example. Purely, purely the recycling <laughs> issue, I think, would be would be a big one. Okay, so that's that's low carb. What about intermittent yeah. fasting? So intermittent fasting can be a short one. It's it's uh, it's one that's gained momentum probably in the last sort of five or six years, and and basically all it is is skipping a meal. Unless you are crazy and want to start doing your intermittent fasting at a different time, most people would start eating at 12 o'clock and then finish eating at 8 p.m. or something like that so that they can combine sleep with, with some of the fasting period. But, I mean, we're all intermittent fasting as long as we sleep. You know, if we're not eating when we're sleeping, we're all doing it anyway. So what's going on is they are skipping probably four hours, a.k.a. breakfast. And putting it off until lunchtime. Um, there is no, again, no research benefits that, that that is better for fat loss than just having a calorie deficit. And regardless of doing intermittent fasting or not, 
you must be in a calorie deficit to lose fat. So you could have a situation where someone skips breakfast, doesn't track the calories or isn't aware of it, and consumes in a surplus from 12 o'clock to 8 o'clock. But they're still doing intermittent fasting and they think it's going to result in fat loss. No, you still need a calorie deficit. So if you like doing that, um, I would definitely recommend it. If you're somebody who doesn't like breakfast or never eats breakfast, it could be a really useful way to reduce calorie intake. But if you're someone who likes breakfast, then it's, it's unnecessary. You know, some people might feel dizzy by 10 o'clock if they haven't eaten. It just depends. So, yeah, that's it. Um, there's also other purported health benefits like autophagy, so like cleaning out of organs, basically, this, this kind of stuff. And again, is there going to be that much more of that going on? So that's something that occurs when you don't eat for a while. How long is it going to be? Uh, well, it will happen, I don't know, a few hours. Um, I haven't actually looked in detail at the research, but if there was four, three or four hours that you extended that by, is that going to make that much of a difference to your overall health? If there was that benefit, because you're going to be fasting between, say, I don't know, 10 p.m., 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. when you're sleeping, um, is there going to be that much more of a benefit if there are benefits in the first place that get purported by laying that by three hours or four hours, I'm not sure. I guess there needs to be more research in that, but a lot of people claim that's one of the benefits of it. I would say from my experience with intermittent fasting that a restricted time eating window is a good rough tool to assist with generally not eating as much food. Now, if, you do, yeah. if you do a 18-6 fast, which is a little bit more uncomfortable, maybe eating between mm -hmm. 2, 2 p.m. and 8 p.m., it's pretty hard, actually, to overeat in a six-hour window. You need to be able to yeah. put away, especially if you're still eating relatively whole foods that aren't hyper-calorie dense, to fit, what, like two to three big meals in within the space of six hours is a fairly difficult task. So, so long I would as you, find that tough. Yeah, as long as you can get through that period... Um, another thing as well to kind of fly the flag for intermittent fasting, I have found sometimes when I've done intermittent fasting that my energy levels are more stable throughout the morning, that a lot of the time my morning meal can cause me to feel a bit of a slump, uh, sort of mid-morning to afternoon, and then without that, without that spike in insulin and glucose, I don't have that sort of, oh my God, I need a coffee to stay awake sensation. Yeah, if, if that works for you, carry on doing it and you made a great point about inadvertently if you have to cram in three meals to six or seven hours there's a good chance that you will probably select foods that are going to fill you up because you know that afterwards you are not going to eat for a while um you know and you could be then inadvertently focusing on or becoming educated on knowing okay let's have a high protein diet then because that fills you up let's Make sure that I'm focusing on whole foods, which has always got to be the basis for any kind of optimal diet. Let's in increase fiber intake so that I'm kind of satiated and I'm not, you know, having midnight snacks, which uh, I've been doing during lockdown, to be honest. <laughs> Is there any evidence about timing of food intake? If I eat at carbs at 10 p.m. at night, am I going to be more likely to store them as fat because I'm being sedentary while it's in my stomach? No, um, there, there's no evidence out there that suggests that the, the time that you eat makes any difference to 
the amount of fat that you're going to store. So I think it's just over a 24 hour period, the total calories in versus the energy expenditure. Um, so yes, you, you, you know, in that basic term, that is it. But obviously other things are going to influence that. So if you starve yourself for seven, eight hours, there's a good chance that you could overeat or binge. You know, I've done it before, I've gone on Deliveroo and I've been absolutely starving and ordered like two mains, a starter, a dessert. And before you know, it, it's like 5,000 calories. Um, so yeah, there could be behavioral aspects that you could look at there. But in terms of just looking at the energy in versus energy out, doesn't matter. Got you. Do what you like. And it's the same with the amount of meals. A lot of people were saying six small meals is better for your metabolism than you know, two massive meals of the same calorie value. Again, it doesn't matter. Just do what suits you. Um, if what you're about, somebody who likes... What about protein intake? Yeah, pro protein intake, um, I'd always recommend at least one gram per kilo of body weight. Um, and I guess if you are training quite a lot, we could, you could go up to two and beyond. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people miss. And a lot of people... Because it's so, because you require it for muscle building and for fat loss, it's going to be beneficial because it's got a higher thermic effect and because behaviorally it's going to help fill you up. And people often miss that out and maybe just concentrate on the calories and maybe aren't aware of, of the amount of protein that they are eating. And it's actually quite low. And over time, it could possibly contribute to them overeating um, more calories because they're not feeling full, for example. So, yeah. Um, there's also some other crazy myths that, you know, we've seen that people were kind of saying proteins is bad for you is smoking and it wrecks your kidneys. It's just, again, it's just complete nonsense. So something that the Daily Mail would just uh, reel out every now and again. The internet, the internet attracts some interesting yeah. people. What about the fact that I think I've seen you, I've definitely seen James post this and you may have done as well, that during one sitting there's an upper bound ceiling on how much protein your body can absorb? Yeah, it's the, there's some there's various research out there, but 30 grams seems to be the optimal kind of dose um, for for most people. And I guess the average person or the average male should be consuming I don't know 2,000, 2,500, maybe 3,000 calories a day, and female from like 1,700 to 2,200. So it's going to be roughly ballpark for most people. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, it's something that's still being researched quite a lot. But from the evidence that I've seen, it's definitely a better idea to aim for kind of 20 to, to 40 gram servings of protein rather than, for example, at the end of the day, realizing that you haven't eaten much protein and you try and whack in like 100 grams or something um, in one meal. That's what I'm thinking about the related to yeah. having an intermittent fasting window that Inevitably, if you've got an upper bound of about 30 grams that you can absorb optimally within one sitting, how long is the reset window between that? Do you know? Uh, no, I think it would be. No, that's something I probably have to have a look at, actually. Um, whether it's relevant for somebody who's trying to lose weight, I'm not sure. But for somebody who's trying to build muscle, that's definitely something that they should kind of think about. Um, but I guess some of the research that I've seen, I don't know if you've seen some of Alan Aragon's stuff. He's sort of talking about every possibly three to four hours having more protein. Um, I think that's certainly 
in research showing to be beneficial for muscle gain for fat loss i'm not sure that it really matters mm, um, that's how regularly you have it um, just because for muscle gain you are i mean intermittent fasting for muscle gain might not be the best idea because you are depleting yourself for a long period of time and of course yes you can be losing fat during that time for, for as energy but also muscle you know muscle is probably the first thing that's going to be burned before fat there um so yeah that's it's interesting yeah it is i was definitely thinking that i remember seeing dan bilzerian talk about his approach to diet and his approach to diet is to just have 25 grams of protein every two hours that he's awake that's that's all that he does so he'll have a protein bar then he'll have a shake then he'll have a little food i mean when you're constantly surrounded by when you live in the maldives or wherever it is he can just get tapas presumably on like he just clicks it, click, clicks his fingers <laughs> and tap, some yeah. some some handsome Spanish waiter comes over with with a pinion and like delivers him some some nice sort of seafood paella or something like that. But yeah, and that that really stuck with me because it made me think. Okay, if there's an upper bound on how much protein you can absorb, if we're focusing on muscle gain, upper bound on how much protein that you can absorb within a particular window. Let's say that it's a couple of hours, and you need to be hitting maybe 160 to 180 to maybe even 200 grams of protein per day if you're an all right size guy who's been training for a little while with a bit of mass on and you're going for that two to sort of two and a half grams per kilo of body weight you're you have to eat you more have to, consistently yeah. or else you're getting to the point where right here's 300 grams of chicken breasts that i'm just going to have in one meal and that's going to be, what, 75 grams-ish of protein, between 60 and 75 grams of protein you're going to get out of 300 grams of chicken breast? Bo- maybe based- more. Yeah, maybe more. Based on what maybe we just more. said there, that's and, and, not even going to be absorbed. Yeah. So it does need to be little and often for those people, perhaps. Absolutely. And also, you, I guess for somebody who's training quite regularly, maybe training twice a day, ha- having the fuel to fuel that workout it makes sense you can have protein before that in a balanced meal you know within an hour to two hours afterwards to start recovery and then later in the day maybe having an evening meal so that's things that are kind of meals that are required for the training to optimize the training anyway so i guess it for a lot of people it would already be in place um, but certainly for muscle gain it's something that people probably yeah, it can probably get a bit much. It's like, oh my god, another meal. You know, <laughs> you're you, you know you're probably full, and it's eight o'clock at night, and you know you're trying to you're trying to get that surplus up there. You're trying to get the protein up there. You realize that you still have another thirty grams of protein to hit. You know, I guess you could have something like a protein shake, but yeah, it's it's tough. It's a lot more intricate gaining muscle than it is losing fat. You think so? And I mean that physiologically. But psychologically, it's probably harder to lose fat for, for people who have ingrained beliefs, ingrained habits. And it's just about trying to shift that to change their behaviors over time. Whereas for muscle gain, it's more, yes, you do need to, to appreciate how much protein you're eating, how many calories you're eating here, what's the progressive overload on your training stimulus, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's, that can be psychological as well. But I think it's more kind of psychological for, for fat loss when it comes to that. I'd agree. I think yeah. nobody stumbles onto consuming 200 grams of protein a day. Nobody, nobody in history has ever accidentally consumed 200 grams of protein. 
The only person that's ever done that is someone who's going out of their way to hit a protein target in the same way as no one ever in history has accidentally been in a consistent calorie deficit for a long time. It's not you you have to do it to achieve the thing that gets you the output that you want for fat loss or for muscle growth. It has to be conscious Um, because it's just 200 grams of protein is a lot of food and being in a calorie deficit is uncomfortable. It doesn't just happen by chance, so it needs to be planned. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Uh, what about slimming clubs? Yeah, so they've been around for a long time. Um, certainly, you know, am I allowed to say them on here? It's fine. Oh, yeah. Fire away, <laughs> man. Fire away. I've yeah, got so a lawyer they- now. I've got a lawyer, everybody. So <laughs> if this happens, it's James Smith's lawyer. I've got, re- I've got referred to James Smith's lawyer. So yeah, he had a... He had a legal case a while ago. I don't know what it was. If she can handle, if, you know, if obviously got him out of it, dude. If this lady can handle the shit that James Smith throws at her, <laughs> good point. She can deal with you naming whoever it is. Yeah. So, so Weight Watchers and Slimming World are the big two. Um, probably, you know, I think they're quite big in America as well, but obviously huge here in the UK. They've been going for a while. When I was doing one-to-one personal training. A lot of the clients that I was getting were kind of ex-slimming world people who had kind of had enough of, of just turning up and getting weighed every week and going home and trying to eat sins and free foods and all this stuff, turning up the week after, finding out that they've lost weight, don't know why, the next week gained weight. And it's all based on that. So it's like, it's like a win or lose arena. And every time they were kind of turning up, you know, there were stories of, of people you know, not eating all day because they wanted to lose weight or, you know, turning up in swimwear so that the weight of the clothes weren't going to show on the scales. All this kind of crap. <laughs> and I think, yeah, the, the main problem is just that a lot of people will say this in the industry, they are just withholding the principle from their, from, from their members. So that is the calorie deficit. Nowhere on their websites or to my knowledge at their meetings or weigh-ins do they communicate this. It's all about telling people to eat a certain amount of sins or you can eat unlimited salmon, pasta, eggs, which are fairly calorie-dense food, but you can (laughs) eat unlimited quantities of them. And the argument that I always get from Slimming World zealots on my posts is, yeah, but nobody does that. I'm like, I'm sure. I'm sure nobody does that. However, this is what they're saying on their website. You can eat unlimited quantities of this stuff, which can easily result in you being in a calorie surplus dude if you gave me unlimited access to pasta i could i could put myself in a calorie surplus easily yeah oh yeah me too i mean i am very much the mind i'm very much half a pasta packet per meal which is probably like 150 grams uncooked maybe more um so yeah you can imagine someone whose whose calorie deficit target may be something like 2000 calories all of a sudden one meal they're having 950 calories or something without knowing it. But it's fine because it's free. It's just this kind of thing. There's just lack of information there. Um, and it's kind of the same with Weight Watchers. They use the point system. It's maybe slightly more aligned to calories. I think the points are added up depending on the calories in food. But it's like, why not just do the fucking calories? Yeah, this is I a mean, mad the- thing. Like, I don't know why they have to take what is an already very well-established existing system of measuring and then repurpose it into yeah. a thing that isn't it's it's because you know their marketing team must be fantastic you know people people there who are saying right 
we know that it's a calorie deficit, but we can call it something else because we know that people think, God, counting calories, how tedious and boring, which probably is, you know, but let's dress it up as this and call this a sin and a speed food and a free food. All of a sudden it sounds more sexy. Um, and all of a sudden the measurement mechanism is just so basic. People can understand it. They turn up, if they've lost weight, success. If they've gained weight, no, you're failing. But as we know, you know, your body weight is not a, not reflective of your body fat. You know, if you, you could turn up one week and have eaten loads of salty foods the night before to retain more water. And that's the extra weight. You might have actually lost body fat, but gained weight from one week to the other. So that's why the scales over those short periods of times aren't overly useful. Um, and that's, yeah, that's basically it. I think it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's taking people further away from the very basic principle that they need to know um, for no reason other than profits, you know. And I guess, yeah, we're all businesses. We want to make money at the end of the day. But I can't help but feeling that both of those organizations, their success as a business depends on their members' failure because that means that they're going to keep coming back. Um, it's a physio that they, never wants his athletes to get well. Yeah. We we see that with chiropractors a lot, and, and to be honest, there's probably some great chiropractors. In <laughs> but it's like, yeah, come here every two three weeks. It's like, well, hang on a minute. It's not actually the the bones that are the problem here. It's the muscles that keep pulling bones out of place. So as soon as I leave here, I'm going to be out of joint, out of joint again in like I don't know a day. So it's probably that that I need to kind of take care of flexibility little bit of strength training here or there is going to solve my problems long term rather than paying 80 quid every three weeks coming for you to do the same thing. Um, that's not to say it's not necessary. It absolutely is in, in a lot of cases. Um, but that's the kind of, yeah, similar to Slimming World in that regard. Is there a way that I can prioritize fat loss through foods when in a calorie deficit? Yeah. There is. So there's no particular foods that will help fat loss and there's no particular foods that will make you gain weight more than others. It's all about the overall energy. In and out. However, that said, we touched upon it before, pro, um, foods high in protein. So because protein has a higher thermic effect, you're talking about every time you have protein, about 30% of those calories that derive from protein from that food are burned during digestion. So that's an increase in your energy expenditure, but the net calories is, yeah, 30% less than the total calories that you're actually consuming. For carbs, it's around about 10%, and for fat, it's zero to 3% is what the data says, which is all the more interesting that keto zealots tell you to eat loads of fat. Um, and what they're basically saying is, what they think is happening is, the more fat that you eat, the more fat you'll burn. So they're making that seem more body fat you'll burn, but it's actually just the dietary fat that you're consuming in wheelbarrows that you're burning. <laughs> because you've got zero carbs in your system, the carbs are being used as fuel. It's so annoying because people believe that stuff. Um, anyway, off topic. Um, other foods, like we were saying there, whole foods, you know, foods high in fiber, again, is going to help uh, make you feel full, just like protein. And the more that you you feel full, the more or the less likely you are to to overeat. Um, so from that point of view, you you want to look at it from the overall diet still. Um, and if you know that, for example, you're eating 
three meals, each of them have 30 to 40 grams of protein. Then you can look at it and if you know you're eating a bunch of micronutrients, makes you know it's gonna improve your overall health, bunch of fiber, it's gonna you know improve your digestion, you're taking care of the, the overall picture. You know that one donut, which is 200 calories, as long as it fits your overall calorie target over a week, you know, you can be flexible, that's gonna do nothing bad for your goal or your overall health. Um, so yeah, the two things to focus on would be protein and fiber. So upping them just so that you feel cooler. Awesome. What about low calorie diets? Yeah. Uh, it depends how low. So I guess to lose fat, you always need to be lower calories than you're currently consuming, unless you're you know, exponentially increasing your energy expenditure to create a deficit. Um, but I don't know how low you mean. Do you mean like 400 calories a day yeah well i mean it's we see these yeah. right we see these diets on the internet of girls who are prepping for bodybuilding shows and have been yeah. told by their coach to drive themselves into the ground 900 calories or a thousand calories they're doing morning cardio they're doing afternoon weights so yeah i mean for for that level of competition you know i personally would never want to be involved in that um but perhaps it's required but for the average person that is going to be so miserable. Um, and, you know, what happens when you're miserable, you don't want to keep doing whatever it is you're doing. Um, and the chances are your behaviors will go back to what you were doing before that was creating the problem. So what I always say to people is instead of having a calorie target per day, have it per week. So say it was 2,000 calories over seven days, that would be 14,000. And that allows someone the flexibility to know that, they can go out and go over by 700 calories and the next day it's fine you know just reduce the next few days by 100 calories each or something like that um just to be more flexible but yeah in terms of low calorie diets if somebody really enjoys eating 500 calories a day and they do that for a significant period of time they will lose a lot of body fat and it will be quicker than if they just had a gradual say 20%, 15% calorie deficit, which is going to be slower, but in the long run, more likely to be successful. So there's two options there. What does the evidence say about juicing and detox? Well, to be honest, there's none. So, it, well, there's not much out there. So the claim is that if you go on a juice cleanse or a detox, you are presumably detoxing your organs. I mean, a lot of the, the businesses that promote these things don't actually know what they're, what they're saying. It's just like a bunch of words saying, going to cleanse your organs, lose weight, it's just all the buzzwords, really. But logic would tell you that unless you don't have organs like kidneys and lungs and liver and skin, unless you don't have those, you, you know, you will be detoxing naturally anyway. That's what they do. So there's no need. You cannot detox. And um, things like uh, we've seen crazy things like coffee enemas. Um, well, I haven't seen them, thank God, but I've heard of them. <laughs> um, Jesus, yeah, that would be... I'll just quit. I'll just move to a remote island, just spend the rest of my days looking at the, the waves, I think, if I saw that. But yeah, you got all, all kind of these things, um, some of them promoted by medical practitioners as well, which is hard because they're supposed to be trustworthy sources of information and advice. Um, yeah, and you're saying they're like a juice diet some people do that for fat loss because it's ultra low calorie um 
so they did it. I mean, what's the most popular one? Lose seven pounds in seven days. So a lot of people do it for seven days, lose the weight, and then just go back to their old habits. So in a couple of weeks' time, they're back to square one, you know, completely pointless. They've just shelled out 300 quid for a juicer, 200 quid on ingredients, felt like crap shitting themselves at work you know all this kind of stuff is just completely ridiculous um yeah but that's kind of where we are and that's, then that's the, the power of marketing boom bod is the desiccated power powder version of a juice yeah, cleanse right the so the the boom bod bases its claim on glucomanin however you pronounce that word um which is basically something that suppresses appetite and there is some evidence to support that. But is that something that we really want to be promoting to essentially young women, maybe teenage uh, women? Um, because a lot of the influencers that were, I mean, it's not happening so much now because fortunately so many of us have called out. Dude, that um, was like, yeah, you remember, you know, the final scene, years ago. you know, the final scene in Avengers where the the entire you got the Wakanda people, you got those big slugs floating through the air, Spider Man's back, like Thor's just come, Iron Man's leading the way. Like that was what it was like. It was all hands on deck. The Lord of the Lord of the Rings, that the Battle of the Two Towers. It was precisely yeah, precisely it was. Um but God, what a, I, you know what, what a I, sight I think, to behold. I think it was because the marketers are obviously just thinking about Who's the target market? Who's going to fall for this? Yeah, and it would be impressionable young people. You know, remember when you were a teenager? I'm the same. I would have done anything. Um, and unfortunately, they're they're targeting you know these kind of reality TV celebrities. You know, really strong followings, really popular, and there we go. Um, and that's what was happening. But I don't think they appreciated the evidence-based community within the industry and how it was just going to immediately go for that and not just evidence just eviscerate them yeah just people you know people who just know when something's With wrong plain you know, common fucking regardless sense. yeah 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 exactly and and to be honest the influencers who were promoting it part of me feels sorry for them because they probably just didn't appreciate that either probably not educated in basic nutrition and they're just seeing it as yeah, they were caught in the cross means to get money yeah so i kind of do sympathize with them a little bit, but at the same time, you need to kind of research what you're promoting at the same time. You know, there's not really many excuses. I've said it on the show, man. We we have a lot of sponsors on here, and I don't promote anything if I haven't used it. Athletic Greens reached out to me. I used the product for all of 2021 up until March before I agreed to do anything with them. So I was like, I want to see what this product's like. It's not enough that mm -hmm. Tim Ferriss thinks it's good. I want to actually see if I rate it. And this is the one part that I, I think is one of the best externalities of there being almost like a call-out culture for bullshit now with regards mm. to fitness and diet on Instagram is that the amount of reputational damage that you can have, that you can give to someone who continually compromises on truth to get an influencer check, if there is that person... So a good example of the reversal of this is someone like uh, Holly Hagen... Um, yes. So she yeah. appears to have almost been a convert now, and she's part of the yeah. evidence-based community. Having mm -hmm. been on the reality TV side, probably did something similar to a boombod ad. I'm pretty certain I saw her do it. But yeah. then you have other people who are prepared to compromise their integrity for a paycheck. And 
as you roll the clock forward, the race to the bottom is not going to continue to win because all of the people are just not going to buy the product. If they know that this week you're doing charcoal toothpaste, which doesn't work, and next week you're doing boom bod, which doesn't work, and the week after that you're doing some one of those waist trainer things, which doesn't work. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like every time that they do that, again, there's no social capital left. And from my side, I'm more than happy to see that happen because it means that for those of us that have decided to go integrity first, you with your cookbooks, like you're not trying to flog a special super secret sauce with pomegranates or whatever where you squirt it in your eye. Like it's just, (laughs) here's some low calorie foods. Here's how to eat them. Um, And the same thing with James. Like James is providing what is in the nicest way possible, a really simple solution. Like his academy is just, here's some calories, here's some training, here's some accountability, go to the fucking gym. Like, that's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah, and, and the thing about it is, most of the time, that's all people need. It's, it just doesn't sound, you can't, like, it's hard to do some sort of, like, digital ad with that or, like, a billboard. It's just, like, common sense or these, these kind of things. People just kind of, the way things are now with advertising you know, things have to be extreme to get noticed. And the thing with, with my second, the, the second book, Still Tasty, is all I did was think, well, what am I going to do for another book? And it was lockdown. And my followers, what I did was put out a poll saying, what's your favorite recipes? You know, and a lot of people come back with burgers, pizzas and toasties and cheesecakes. Whatever. I'm like, well, to be honest, there's easy ways that I can make these lower in calories. And it's the same volume of food but it's the same tastes as well. So it's like, but possibly two, 300 calories less. And it's like, well, that's an intervention someone could easily make to lose fat. You're still eating all their favorite stuff. They're not you know, buying this superfood cookbook where they have to eat edamame beans wrapped in avocado and cress or something every morning <laughs> at 6 a.m. But you know what it's like? I was looking at all the cookbooks and it's just like all these cookbooks, even the ones that are like just meal prep, are all using the lose weight. It's just like get health, healthy recipes, lose weight. So they're just using all the buzzwords. I'm like, hang on a minute. You're not giving any advice for someone to lose weight there. You're just giving a bunch of recipes that are nutritious. So that's inadvertently good for someone. But if they want to lose weight, you need to actually tell them how and give them some sort of like information about it. So in in each recipe, I'm saying, this is how you save these calories. What I did was changed 10 mil of olive oil to 10 sprays of olive oil spray or you know changed full fat cheese full fat cheese it sounds like it's not it's not cheese isn't coca-cola <laughs> cheese to low fat cheese you know just things yeah. like that they taste the same but you're eating the same volume so yeah anyway good plug there for the book <laughs> oh, i happily man link linked in show notes below what yeah. what about what about supplements obviously we've talked about some of the ones that aren't worth their salt what supplements are worth it in your opinion uh yeah it depends what you mean by supplement so if whey protein was a supplement which yep. i would say it probably is despite the fact it's derived from eggs you know it's like it yeah it's a supplement let's just call it i would definitely say whey protein for the things we've discussed earlier it can be difficult to hit that protein target each day. And whey protein provides a really convenient and, you know, there's lots of flavors, tasty solution for that. You can do that within 30 seconds, mix up a protein shake or add it to yogurt, add it to porridge, pancakes, whatever. It's just really convenient. You don't need it. You know, you can get your protein from 
chicken, eggs, fish, you know, whatever. Um, but it's just really convenient. So that would be the number one. Um, you know, for supplements, I guess it depends on someone's situation. If somebody was perfectly healthy and consuming an abundant variety of different foods and whole foods, you'd probably say there isn't any need. Um, but what I would say is in the UK, we are probably, a lot of us are deficient in vitamin D just because of the climate. So that is certainly one during win winter months that I take up here in Aberdeen. I mean, Jesus Christ, January when we were in lockdown here, I don't think I saw sunlight for about five days at one point. Uh, so it's like, yeah, let's take two vitamin Ds every day, thanks. Um, there's one. And things like multivitamins, again, are potentially just going to boost, you know, boost that functional health aspect. But you don't actually know what the benefits are. You can't see them. You know, it's like if somebody keeps getting colds um, or viruses all the time, vitamin C is, is known to kind of counteract that. So if they go on high doses of vitamin C and they don't get colds anymore, they will never know whether it was their overall lifestyle, improvement of sleep, of diet, whatever, or that supplement as well. So it, you'll never kind of know. Um, those would kind of be the ones that I would recommend. Um, if you're at elite level sort of training, um, you know, powerlifting and things like that, and obviously elite level sports, that's kind of out of my level of expertise. So um, I would yeah, recommend consulting a, a sports nutritionist for that yeah but there definitely will will be supplements that will will definitely give someone that extra one percent legal supplements that is <laughs> and, i mean there's some legal ones that'll give you far more than one percent i would ones, yeah. i would throw into the mix there i'd say creatine for anybody that's going to the gym whether yeah, you're sorry. a guy or a girl um five grams per day you don't need to phase it you don't need to cycle it on and off i think that I'm was right. a mis yeah, there's misconceptions about cycling on and off um, with creatine, but I think most of the research now suggests that that's something you don't need to do. It can just be something you take continuously. One scoop. And as you say, there's a yeah, there's a lot of evidence out there just to to show the benefits of taking creatine. Absolutely, um, particularly if you're looking to build muscle, you know, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So creatine, I would also personally for me, I add in a green drink. So I find I mentioned it earlier on, Athletic Greens is just awesome. It mm. just means. No one's eating enough vegetables. Like not even the vegans are eating not enough vegetables. <laughs> no one, not even the fitness chef himself is eating enough vegetables. Yeah. So yeah, man, like that that but that would be my whatever it is, like a six car garage. And you can add in funky stuff. There's some good fat burners out there. Green tea tablets I've used for years, omega three sixes and stuff are good. But I wonder sometimes I think, I think a, a lot of a lot of the, the problem is things like fish oils depending where you get them from, you need to make sure that the dosage is actually going to be effective. So a lot of the things that you get in the supermarkets, the, the dose is so low. Is that right? That Yeah, and the, the, that tends to be the more expensive supplements you get. And you maybe have to go to a specialist source you know, and, and pay over the odds, but you're going to get a higher dose of uh. those fish oils. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, if you had two groups and someone took fish oils A, and then there is another more kind of potent fish oil for group B over time. It'd be interesting to see, you know, what kind of reactions they would have to that because there's definitely discrepancies in the dosage between between these things and people don't understand that. It's not commonly known. Even myself, I'm kind of looking at it in the supermarket going, yeah, fish oil supplement's good. I don't eat a lot of oily fish, maybe once every couple of weeks. 
which you should probably do a little bit more regularly than that. So I'm like, yeah, fish oil stuff. I'm looking at it going, mm, maybe you need to have about eight of these instead of two. <laughs> what about... Um, so that's something to consider. What about foods? What food uh, types, what, what are the best foods that you found to make dieting less painful? Everyone's got a couple in their back pocket that they like to rely on. <sighs> to be honest, um, in my personal experience, my diet... To be honest, I would just say make what you're eating taste good because there's there's that kind of mindset of chicken, broccoli, and rice for so many years. It was almost like a bodybuilding staple, wasn't it? Um, yeah, make what you're tasting good because you can eat anything. Um, I would definitely say, unless you're vegan or vegetarian, focusing on lean sources of protein is going to kill two birds with one stone, it's going to get your protein level up there and it's not going to result in excessive calories. So something like a chicken breast, 100 grams of that, you're talking about 100 to 130 calories if it's not got the skin on, compared to like a steak, which would be a lot more than that. Um, but obviously that's providing a high level of protein protein as well. So lean sources of, of meat, plenty of fruits and vegetables, um, you know, filling your plate with, with vegetables is, is a great way to kind of reduce the calorie content and increase the volume. Same with fruit as well. If you're somebody who's trying to lose fat and loves snacking all the time, but you're snacking on things like millionaire shortbread, which is like 150 calories per centimeter. <laughs> it's not quite that, but, but something like that, you know, yes, have that now and again, but having some high volume foods like fruit or low fat Greek yogurt, maybe a scoop of whey protein in there. You know, those types of things are going to make you full, hopefully, um, provide you with micronutrients for your overall health, but also get the volume up so that you're, you're, you're feeling full and you're less likely to eat for longer, which is going to support a calorie deficit. But Have you, tried, all- um, have you tried this uh, Lindal's Kvarg stuff? It's a, it looks like yeah. a yogurt, y- but it's, yogurt. it's technically a... Um, cottage cheese a flavor a sweet flavored cottage cheese uh, um so you can get it in, like quark yeah it's very similar to quark so some of them are cottage cheese similar, and some of them yeah. are quarks um dude they have completely revolutionized the yogurt game with this i'll have to try them as do you get them in all the supermarkets yeah they're, they're everywhere but as certainly has a big a big group of them so skier have now brought out an increased protein sure. small version of a pot and it's the macros on the back of it it's like Harry Potter's cupboard or something. Absolutely <laughs> insane. So it just tastes it tastes like a thick, nice yeah. yogurt, but is zero grams of fat, like 0.5 or one grams of carbs and 18 grams of protein. I'm like, this is just so a- it's under this, 100 calories. This is just really. a protein supplement. It's mad. Yeah. So the ones that- That I've, tastes good. So it's like, you're going to eat that. And presumably it's, you get it flavored as well. Oh yeah, or, dude, they've gone, yeah. they've really gone quite sophisticated with it. There's like lemon cheesecake flavor. There's strawberry shortbread flavor, all with these macronutrient profiles. It. It's, uh, I'm telling you, so if you are considering, you're getting back into the gym, you're thinking, right, I need to, I need to get back on my diet. That's such a good hack. Um, charity popcorn, low calorie popcorn, I think yeah. is such an easy one. Um, it does help to fill you up quite easily. I'm not a massive fan of the zero calorie or low calorie jelly. It's just something to do with the texture of that when I'm hungry. I'd, it's so slimy and it doesn't feel too good, but I know that a ton of buddies do that. Nando's sauce, as sauces go, is about as low calorie as you can get, 
whilst still being not not being a low calorie source. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know what you mean. And I, yeah, I'm a big advocate of Nando sauce. I'm putting it on chicken a lot, very regularly. <laughs> Medium you, though, I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I'm, I haven't bit quite elevated myself to hot. <laughs> the um, when you compare that with like a reggae reggae sauce, there's so much more sugar yeah. in one yeah. of those. It's mad, and you think, hang on, I could, I could probably have another fifty percent of this meal if I got rid of that sauce. So Nando sauce, yeah. looking at some different types of quark, flavored quark, it'll be in mm-hmm. one side of the yogurt aisle in your local supermarket and charity popcorn. I think those are my, those are my hacks. Yeah, I'm on those as well. I, I, I think, yeah, popcorn is one that I love because it's just, you can just have such a, it seems like such a big amount of food that you're eating. And obviously, though most you of it's air. It, yeah, it's like fruit. <laughs> In a way that once you chew, obviously fruit will just turn into liquid mush. Yeah, and and popcorn just disintegrates. Yeah, if you took one bit of popcorn, chewed it, you're like, what? Where's that? Where's it go? Before you even swallow it. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, there's some good good fiber in there as well. So yeah, the, the, yeah, I, I agree with those. Yeah, if it's got your stamp of approval, I'll, I'll take that. What about yeah. what are some of the ways that people can improve their energy expenditure if they're sedentary for most of the day? A lot of us are still working from home. Perhaps we don't even have a commute to work. Maybe we've still got limited access to a gym. What are some of the easy ways that people can improve their their neat? Yes, the neat. So that accounts for around about fifteen percent of your total daily energy expenditure for most people. So it's, it's, it's something we don't even think about, like. What we're doing here, fidgeting, using our hands, moving our lips, that's classed as neat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, walking technically isn't neat, but it kind of is. You know, it's not planned exercise. Well, like, okay, it is planned exercise, but let's not get pedantic. Let's include walking in neat. So things like, imp- you know, increasing the number of steps each day. You know, if you're able to walk, that is easy. That's an easy thing. It doesn't require you to do burpees, doesn't require you to... To lift weights if you're not comfortable doing that. Um, and even like tasks like gardening and doing laundry, all these kind of things. And a lot of people obviously have been more sedentary over lockdown because they've been working from home or on furlough. But at work, depending on your occupation, if you are a nurse, I mean, being in hospitals, the amount of walking you have to do because there are large buildings between area to area is massive. Before you know it, they could be doing like 15,000, 20,000 steps on a shift. Um, you just don't know. And, but another person, their mate, could be kind of on the same calorie spectrum for maintenance, they think, but they're actually sitting around all day. So their mate, who's, who's a nurse walking around, or whoever it is who's just generally the guy that, The guy that works occupation. reception versus the girl that's got to go and do the thing, they've been on the same shift for yeah. the same amount of time, but one's moved... 15,000 steps and the others moved 3,000. Yeah, and it all adds up. It seems so insignificant because the effort to walk at slow pace or move or get up off the couch is a lot lower than doing a burpee, for example. But over time, yeah, it will just pick it up. So your BMR is around 70% of your daily energy expenditure for most people, which is just by breathing. And a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people with these apps that are around now, are kind of it's measuring the calories burned, which is always going to be inaccurate. And they're kind of asking, do I need to deduct that from my calorie target? It's like, no, you just need to get a calorie calculator that asks you about your activity level and it will tell you your calorie target 
based on your activities. So you just have to focus on that one number. You don't need to do any calculations after that. Um, yeah, we discussed the thermic effect, which is about 10% of your daily intake just from food. It'd be higher if you consume more protein or lower if you consume virtually no protein. And then that leaves 5% for planned exercise. Unless you're doing intense exercise for like four hours a day, like triathlons, if you're like Ross Edgeley swimming the North Sea or something, then that's going to be a lot higher. And I think someone like him would need like 10,000 calories or something a day just to maintain that. Um, so, yeah, increasing neat, going on walks with mates, um, taking up hobbies, walking dogs, all these kind of things all add up because we're, we're too sedentary, really, um, as you know. You got Netflix, you got TV with thousands of channels, you've got everything there, you've got social media, all of which requires you to be still when you're kind of looking at it. Um, so it's kind of getting out of that a little bit and just moving a little bit more, my, um, so to speak. My spine coach, uh, Dr. Stu McGill, he gives all of his patients, this is a spinal uh, input because locomotion lubricates the spine in a way which actually reduces back pain as long as you're swinging your arms um so you need that contra movement so that you're doing this your hips are going one way your shoulders are going another mm -hmm. but he prescribes after every meal do a 15 minute walk and when you actually put that together if you're moving at an all right pace that's your 10,000 steps and a bit that's more yeah. than 10,000 steps within 45 minutes if you're moving at an all right pace I mean, yeah, absolutely. And there's things you can do. It's not just like, you know, if you live in an area which is boring scenery, you just have to walk. You can listen to podcasts, this one. music. This one. Yeah, this right one, obviously. Yes, um, thank you. And then, you know, you can even, you know, if you're someone who talks to your mates on the phone, I don't think I've ever talked to a mate on the phone since like 2008, the most antisocial person. It's just like, text me or go away. <laughs> but yeah, if you're if you're chatting away for an hour about something, walk around when you're doing it. Like, I think I have, like, a nervous thing when I speak to someone on the phone, and when I'm indoors, I just walk around. Dude, so I let me tell you, let me tell you yeah. about that. So I got this insight from who wrote Becoming a Supple Leopard. He's been on this podcast. Oh, God. Yes, I have. I have seen He's got that. a girl's yeah. name. I can't remember. People scream. Kelly Starrett. Thank God for yes, that. That's that would have annihilated Jesus. me for the rest Hope of he's the night. Yeah, I know. Hey, Kelly, I'm sorry, mate. Um, yeah. He said humans are locomotive beings, and he asks us to think about the last time we had a phone call that required a high level of cognitive load. So you're having a conversation with your business partner about the marketing copy for a new website, right? What's the, what's the tagline going to be? And naturally, you can't do it sat down. You have to get up and you have to move. And his argument yeah. is that it's something to do with how our movement facilitates our brain. It's not just mm -hmm. a nervous twitch. It's not start trying to get rid of energy. It's facilitating the thinking process itself. And when you think about the fact that every great thinker that I admire from history Albert Einstein, Newton, Darwin, all of these people decided to go for walks super regularly. Mm. They were avid walkers. And one of the reasons for that is that it's not, it's not just the neat effect. It's not just improving your fitness. It's about what you can do mentally when you're doing the walk. Yeah. So, dude, I'm, I'm yeah, all, all for it. That's probably for a different discussion, but that's absolutely as important. Despite all of this kind of fat loss talk, mental health is has to be the number one, doesn't it? So when we're talking about all these benefits of compositional change, 
the end goal is to make somebody happier. If they don't think any of this will make them happier, they don't have to do it. And it's as simple as that. I love it. So, yeah. Dude, where should people go? They want to check out your stuff. So probably the best place would be Instagram, and it's just the fitness chef on there. Um, I've also got a website called fitnesschef.uk, and on there, um, what I've designed is basically like a tool for people who want to track their fitness journey. We're currently going through a bit of an update to the app at the moment, um, but on there they can track their food. There's lots of uh, calorie-counted recipes on there. Soon they'll be able to do a few other things, which I'll disclose soon, um, and they can have a free trial. So, yeah, that's that's probably the, the two best places. Facebook, um, TikTok, those kind of things I'm, I'm on, but I'm not great at. <laughs> Is anyone great at TikTok? Unless you're a dancer, I don't well, think anyone's great at TikTok. Yeah, I, I, I had a few videos late last year that went well, you know, getting a lot of views, and then decided to put myself in a lot more of them, and they went terribly, so I don't know what that's saying. <laughs> But then a few, last week, I decided to do my infamous avocado Nutella post and just do a 30-second voiceover describing in basic terms what What's I'm going saying. On, yeah. And it's gone mental, yeah. And then I did an, uh, an Easter egg recipe, like chocolate mousse died died a horrible death so you just don't know what's going on in there which makes it exciting but it's because it's the chinese man when they're they're observing <laughs> you they've they've heard that last night you criticized the communist regime and then they press the button Punished. that yeah nukes your account for the next week man uh today's been awesome anybody that wants to check yeah. out your stuff it'll be linked below you need to give this guy a follow on instagram uh and yeah man let's think about something else get yourself in some more hot water with someone and we'll we'll bring you back on I'll be delighted to come back. So thanks for inviting me. Take care.